Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and Argyle, more like Arg, I'll really regret watching this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you thought we would have the same one. Oh, just wait, just wait. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. Arg, I'll go see it. I guess, which is what I'll say to every single Matthew Vaughn movie moving forward. (laughs) And Jeff Kanata. I'm Jeff Kanata, and I also imagine all the people in my life look like Henry Cavill. Wow. You missed it. We could have had a great three strikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's it's better to be surprised. Anyway, uh, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Argyle the newest film by Matthew Vaughn. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at the Filmcast Pod. We're on TikTok at the Filmcast. We're posting new videos every week. Check us out there. Uh, and of course, patreon.com slash filmpodcast where you can support this show and help to keep it going. Now, uh, I mentioned earlier slash filmcast at gmail.com where you can write in some emails. Uh, so we're going to go over some emails today. We got some what we've been watching. Uh, and then we'll get to our review. I also want to mention, by the way, that we are recording this episode of the podcast quite early. Uh, we're recording it on Friday, February 2nd. Uh, we usually record the Monday before the Tuesday that it comes out. And I only bring that up because in case something major has happened in the world between now and when this episode is released. We cannot comment on we it. We cannot comment. That's why we're <laughs> well, not talking about it. Also, we should mention why we're doing that, David. Why is that? Well, a couple of reasons. Yeah. Somebody's having a birthday! Yes, it's Devinder Hardware's birthday. Uh, we typically record on Monday, and Devinder made the very reasonable request, hey, it would be great to not have to record on my birthday. So, hey, happy I would birthday, like Devendra. not to talk to you guys on that day. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, that's our, that's our gift to you, is not having to speak with us. <laughs> thank you. That is, I could not ask for anything more for my 40th birthday, you know? <laughs> Woo, the big yeah. 4-0. Woo! The big 4-0, yeah. So, uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be two, it'll be uh, Devendra's belated birthday, but be sure to wish him a happy belated birthday if you get the chance. Uh, and, you know, so that's why we're recording it a few days early, and we are also recording this at, I believe the term is the ass crack of dawn, and the reason for that is because Jeff Kanata has a Vision Pro appointment, uh, an Apple Vision Pro appointment today. That's is that right, right Jeff? So- meow, 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 meow. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately after this pod, like we have a hard out. Yeah, Jeff is stepping into the future. That's right. Yeah, I will be wow. leaving uh, present day behind and moving into the all Vision Pro future. The next yeah. time we do this show, it will be uh, through Vision Pro. I will be speaking to you. <laughs> from we should the both metaverse. do that. We should both do that when we both have it because I'm also waiting for one, and uh, poor Dave just, will just be FOMO. It'll the whole yeah, video yeah. version will be just me and Devendra, and all you'll see is our <laughs> fake your, eyes, your avatars. Your yeah. okay. what are they it's called? Persona, personas, right? Personas. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Jeff, Jeff is gonna be whisked off to go, whisked away to go. Get like the end of Close Encounters of the third, mi- uh, you know, of the first kind, uh, his kids <laughs> will be like, kind, "Hey, yeah. Daddy, where are you going?" Yeah. And Jeff will be like, "The future." A happier you. place, children. A happier place. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I'm whisking myself. I'm not being whisked. I think he whisked himself off too in that movie. Yeah, he's can like, "I'm out." Can you use Zencaster in the Vision Pro? I wonder. It's Why not? Anything Why you can you? in a browser. Yeah. So you know what? We will test it. Yeah, That's well, the thing, yeah. Is, the thing is, like, even on a 
desktop computer, the, the uh-huh. program we used to record the Zencaster doesn't support Safari. So my uh, uh, oh, that's a, that's a shame. But my plan is at some point to launch Chrome on a Mac and do our Zencaster recording through that while also having the big ass you know Mac window in the Vision Pro. Mm. So you can do that, which is mm. why I also told you, Jeff, you got to buy a Mac to get all that goodness. I know you keep saying that. I don't want yeah. to. It's pretty obvious. Like <laughs> once you step into that Apple store, you're going to walk out with a Mac, Jeff. I bet you <laughs> yeah. <the> money. Here's <laughs> yeah. you know what, honestly. <laughs> I've I've been I've been having a low level of stress about this appointment that I'm heading to today <laughs> mm. because I I've heard that it is like a half an hour tour of the like they don't I, I yeah, just want them yeah. to give it to me and let me leave. I you don't, could have had it delivered to your house, Jeff. Yeah, I know, but the delivery yeah, you chose date was different. You chose no, this. You chose I needed, this. I, this gets me it earlier. the the delivery The delivery time that I had available to me was not. <laughs> right now really oh yes. wow so i see i see so this gives you an additional like four to six hours with the vision yeah but program, i'm gonna right. be the guy who's just like i don't I just i'm fine <laughs> it, I is, don't need it, to... it is helpful I, I think it's helpful to have that training i I saw it with apple like last year right so to be yeah, guided and, through that whole thing you're they learning a whole through. new language jeff you're learning like point <laughs> gestures and shit i've never spatially computed yeah actually well, you have well, no, it's impossible to have spatially computed because <laughs> this is the first, yeah, this spatial, is the first computer. spatial computer. That's right. Mm, that's right. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, we will be discussing uh, Jeff's Vision Pro experience. Actually, uh, what I'm, I, I'm sorry, it's the, the technically correct term is Apple Vision Pro. No, the. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will be discussing Jeff's Apple Vision Pro experience uh, during the next After Dark at patreon.com slash film podcast. I'm really curious to hear what it's like. Um, so if you want to listen to the future, Sign up for patreon.com slash film podcast, get ad free episodes and exclusive after darks. All right, folks, let's get to some emails at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Let's start with this email from Lauren, who writes in. Let us know where you're writing in from when you're writing to slash filmcastgmail.com, please. Uh, Lauren writes in, hello. I'm a longtime listener to the podcast. Love listening to you guys and your camaraderie around ideas and movies. I was listening to your commentary of Plan 75, Devendra, and appreciate the recommendation. Let's pause from the email for a moment. Plan 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an, a movie that's available on the Criterion channel uh, that is about uh, a program in Japan that will pay you if you, uh, you know. It'll pay people over 75 to kill themselves. Yes, to end their lives. For society. Yes. Uh, anyway, the email continues, quote, I am surrounded by older in-family members who are healthy, active, and in their 70s, and often talk about end of life, as well as several friends whose aging parents have dementia. Like many of us, I am thinking a lot about the end of life. Hearing your comments and remembering you have kids maybe want to share a non-movie recommendation you may enjoy. I recently read The Giver to my son, and it brought up a lot of the ideas about end of life, the government, society, collectivism, and life and death in general. I was reminded of it while listening to you talk. I'm not sure how old your kids are, but it has been a good read for us in the fourth grade, although I'd recommend waiting a little longer, like fifth grade or middle school, as some of the ideas are upsetting. Mm. There's a whole quartet of books that we are now making our way through as uh, a read aloud. Uh, I've heard there's a movie of this too, but that it's not that great, dot, dot, dot. Anyway, no need to respond. Just wanted to share. Thanks for your podcast, end quote. Devinger, this email resonated with you very specifically, right? For sure. I mean, I The Giver was my favorite book when I was a kid. And that is something I've reread, you know, many, many times over the years. I read that book in third grade. So I understand the warning for like fifth or sixth grade or middle school. But, you know, when you're a kid, you have those like lightning bolt moments, you know, when you encounter something that just completely shapes your worldview and how you think of things. And The Giver was one of those, like was the thing for me. 
in the third grade. So yes, this is a great recommendation. Uh, if uh, adults should read The Giver, but also I think it is like a great thing to introduce to kids because it is a book entirely about you know dystopian society where people are just not allowed to feel things, and it's about like it is about asking those questions of. Um, how do we take care of each other in a society? What do we owe each other? That is something that's been on my mind forever. So I cannot wait to introduce that to my kids. And that's actually, yeah, very, very much rooted in what Plan 75 uh, covers as well. So yeah, love that book. I will also never see that movie because I hear it's so bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the, the movie recommendation from Devingro is Plan 75. It is still one I plan to check out. Uh, yep. So I, I'm planning to watch it soon. Uh, related piece of content Devendra and uh, again mm-hmm. uh, you know content warning for um, you know uh, ending one's life but I read uh, listened to this podcast episode of the daily called the mother who changed a story of dementia right, right I don't know yeah. if you heard about this I did um, hear that one yeah this stuff is really fascinating to me because basically it's uh, it, the, the short version is a story about this woman who said hey if I ever get dementia um please end my life like i don't want to live with dementia i don't want to like have that quality of life i don't want to depend on people that much and then the woman got dementia and then when she has dementia she seems like a completely different person and Mm -hmm, is like mm -hmm. completely happy and you know uh not completely but like you know relatively happy and has good things in her life and doesn't want to enter life at all and so it's like who do you believe like who, who, who's like opinion do you take or whose directives do you right, take in that situation? Right. it's like the same person but it's two different people in a way anyway it was really fascinating um again it's the episode of the daily called the mother who changed a story of dementia uh and i just think it's a it's a really interesting topic uh and it, certainly as more of our population becomes older uh, mm-hmm. relatively speaking i think it will become more uh, relevant so did you guys anyway. see that there are like studies about like how apparently like oral care like just te- taking good care of your mm. teeth actually makes a big difference because it is like infections along your teeth that could be a thing yeah that ends there's up, all these like, germs yeah all these germs all that these you're germs. swallowing all the time yeah yeah they Floss, say like people you know yeah. like don't pluck your nose hairs don't pick your I didn't nose see that one, but there's like wow. it, like there's a, there's some study about how there's a uh, um, bacteria that can get into yeah, your nose yeah, and yeah. into your brain that, that way. makes sense because if uh listen i i occasionally do those uh waxy things to uh, to pull your nose hairs and when you do those they give you an antiseptic like strip to wipe your nose because you mm. do want to disinfect because you're tearing open very very sensitive skin you know when you're doing wow. that stuff. So, so you wax sense. your you know i've always wanted to i gotta do I find, it i find nose hairs annoying it's um, uh it's great but, feels really good well they're saving you from dementia but it's apparently not hairs. good yeah it's apparently not good for you it's that's it's a, a real it's a real, you know, uh, catch twenty two. You know, like there's some things that are like uh, uh, y- y- nose hairs provide valuable. They do stuff, but also are very uncomfortable and annoying. You know, there it's, are it's, uh, and unsightly. unsightly. There are little okay. trimmers you can get now, yeah. so I, I use one of those. I try those as well. I never find them effective. Never find them. Yeah. Effective. Anyway, okay, we're, we're we're off track here. Another email. body hair talk <laughs> on the filmcast slash filmcast at gmail.com. Somebody writes in. Uh, Alexa writes in quote. Hi, Dave and Jeff. I've never felt compelled to email you before, but as a lifelong bird enthusiast, pigeon owner, and licensed falconer, hell yeah, I could not stand by and listen to the vicious vilification of birds that took place during the discussion of Every Little Thing from Sundance. 
While there were countless things during this seven-minute tirade mm. that filled me with incandescent rage. Oh I was genuinely shocked by all of this, guys. Yeah. I will this, will ex- to- this explains all the falcon attacks I've been getting lately. <laughs> I will attempt to focus my criticism on the insults lobbied at pigeons, which are incredible birds deserving of respect and perhaps even fear. In particular, I take issue with the idea that no one gives a fuck about pigeons and therefore a movie like Every Little Thing could not be made about them. (laughs) I can tell you with some degree of confidence that there is no community more vociferous, more dedicated, more slightly unhinged than the pigeon rescue and rehab community. (laughs) Each day I see people going to insane lengths for pigeons, from driving injured street birds hundreds of miles to receive vet care, to throwing weddings for newly bonded pigeon pairs, to sprinting around cities with large nets in order to unwrap embedded strings from pigeon feet, to performing at-home amputations of rotten wings that were run over by trains. While I respect that every little trains? Yeah. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) While while I respect that every little thing might be the Paddington of bird rescue films, based on your description of it, I can promise you that a film about the pigeon rescue universe would be an absolute spectacle, (laughs) much more akin to Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, this sounds like a great documentary. Yeah. Let's get get this person some funding immediately. uh, uh, On behalf of pigeons... I would like to thank Devendra for his soft, whispered affirmation of "I like pigeons" in the I background. Do, I do like pigeons <laughs> in the background while Dave was going off on them. Again, how dare you? Yeah, uh, that, that, that <laughs> statement was not even acknowledged because Dave was just blind <laughs> with rage about pigeons and the fact that birds exist. It's amazing. Uh, P.S. The idea that there are relationships that I've never discussed birds disturbed me deeply. I literally do not know what else you would talk about. <laughs> This is an all-timer email. It's pretty great. This is a pretty great takedown. PPS, uh, love the show, been listening for eight years, and it just gets better, end quote. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. anyway, uh, thank you for that message. I will say I was shocked by your anti-bird views, and I do not support them. (laughs) I hope they're not reflective. Like, the the film cast is not reflective of those views. Okay, listen, birds are great. Hashtag not all birds, okay? uh, (laughs) Pigeons are also great. It was anti-pigeon specifically. And and honestly, well, it, it was, was like bird. I, like you guys were talking about like how you just never talk about birds. And it's also like <laughs> they're everywhere. <laughs> they're always around. You know, uh, honestly, it, let me just say this. It wasn't even, I, I would argue, uh-huh. I, you know, I didn't listen back to the conversation, but I would argue it wasn't even anti-birds. I was merely acknowledging the lowly place of pigeons in our cultural landscape. You, well, you were, but you were also. Jeff was anti-birds. I'm not going to back down in the face of an angry falconer. <laughs> I, I'm anti-birds. I said uh, that's how I you lose not, an eye. I do not like parakeets, <laughs> and I believe I yes. said fuck birds. You heard me, fuck birds. It was really it was a combination of uh, Jeff's hate and Dave's ignorance that really led to uh, a memorable segment on the <laughs> podcast. So yeah. anyway, birds are great guys. You should uh, should be birds nice. Birds are to them. fine. Birds, birds are fine. Are I just you, you, they're not pets. <laughs> not, they should not be pets. I mean, Sorry. you had one asshole bird roommate, basically. So, I did. Yeah. I, I mean, I, that wasn't even my roommate. It was my girlfriend's roommate mm-hmm. at the time. And I, uh, it was scarred me. It scarred me. Mm-hmm. I love how, Jeff, hearing this impassioned email from this seemingly dangerous listener. I'm just going to yeah. put that out oh, there. Oh, extremely armed uh, and dangerous. His response is, let's double down. Let's, yeah. uh, no, I shall yield none. I shall not apologize. Here's, and, uh, here's what rings in my head many years later. Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! <laughs> happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Happy what, birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! That's that's what I would wake up to. <laughs> happy birthday to you! Happy birthday to you! Just that part, just that much. 
left. Amazing. <laughs> that's painful, because it's like, uh, it doesn't resolve the song. Exactly. Right? Like, that's what I was telling you about with the <laughs> yeah. Adam's Family yeah. theme, too. It's yeah. like, it's yeah. just the one part. Happy <laughs> birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And it's like, just finish the song, for God's sake. <laughs> that bird really hurt Jeff. Yeah, yeah as we can all see. It, it, I would wonder, you know, if, if our listener Alexa has, has uh, experienced that and then still loves birds. That really pigeons would show don't her... talk is the thing. Mm, yeah. You know, they they just make a little cool they poop everywhere. Yeah. I wanna, anyway, I have a I have a, I have a tiny little anecdote that I want to add in. All right, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> here we go. Why not? Last weekend, More. my my in laws were in town, and we decided, you know, we wanted to get outside and do some activities. And it was actually pretty nice weather here in Denver. And we went to this uh, lovely park that we've been to a number of times that it just has this, it has a play area for the kids and it has a massive, massive field uh, where it, it just an open grass area. And there's something I must say deep down in my soul that is stirred by the sight of a giant open grassy field. I uh, just, something that is pure and wonderful and beautiful about that. It, Something about my youth, about the potential of all oh, the things you can do, the what you can play on the grassy field. I just adore a big grassy field. Love it. So, yeah. So the day was, you know, winding down. We were gonna head out, and uh, across the giant grassy field, there was a there's a little pond that has a, kind of a little uh, standing area you can look out over the pond. And we thought it would be fun because the pond was probably still half frozen. We thought it would be lovely to go and walk over and, and see the pond. So I said to everybody, Hey, I love big open field. Let's walk across the big open field to the, to the, to the uh, pond. And everybody thought that was a delightful idea. It was a beautiful sunny day. It was just wonderful. And we were in only light sweaters. It was just great. So we all start walking across the field and about halfway across, I'm telling you, this is, much larger than a football field. It is a huge, beautiful, open field. About halfway across, my father-in-law goes, um, does anybody else see the poop? And I, we all look down and realize... It's like a minefield. Not a minefield, you guys. It is a carpet. A carpet of bird shit. There are geese... Uh-huh. That mm. we saw, that, you know, they, they migrate. We see them in huge, and they were all over this park, and in, in, you know, in the pond, and all over the place. And I'm telling you, there was so much shit that you you didn't see it because it was more shit than grass. Yeah, it was all this like yeah. greenish, and you real. We our shoes were caked in <laughs> bird dung. It was. It, we spent the net. We 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 were halfway across the the. Thing. There was nothing to do at that point. We had to continue walking. We get to the end, and then we spent the next hour and a half all trying to scrape our shoes clean. I have never seen. I, I you think I'm exaggerating? It oh, was, I I know what it's like, Jeff. Yeah, I used to live near a lake, and same deal. Yeah, a sheet of sheet. shit. Sheet of shit. A shit sheet. You know how that beautiful grassy <laughs> field stays beautiful and grassy? I know it's fertilizer, shit. but my shit. God. It was like it's the kind of shit. thing where, you know, if you if it had been like a dog poop here or there, you would have seen it and been like, oh my gosh, watch out for the dog poop. It, there was so much of it that it was like, you just didn't even notice it until you're in it and, my, and you see the caking in, on the shoes. 
So anyway, fuck birds is what I'm saying. Mm. Again, also very, very relevant love story. It so much. Very yeah. relevant story for our Argyle review later today. That's true. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for all of your emails at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Keep them coming in. We really appreciate them. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more and what we've been watching right after this. This episode of the Filmcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. I'm married. This year, 2024, will be our 10th wedding anniversary, which means I've worked really hard on this relationship. Uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. And in fact, it's a common misconception about relationships that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great. You have to do that. And therapy can be a great place to work through the challenges you face in all of your relationships, whether they're with friends or work or a significant other, anyone. My wife and I have benefited enormously from therapy in working on ourselves individually, in working on our relationship together. It has been essential for us to make sure we're still putting in the effort needed to make sure our marriage lasts and is fulfilling to both parties. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com filmcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. All right, this week on the podcast, uh, we all had a chance to check out two things exactly. Like, we usually watch different things, but this week uh, uh, we watched two things, the same we thing. We all you know, watched the same stuff, we all watched two same things. Th yes, two things, that's right. Um, uh, the first thing is Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Demingria, let's start with you. Uh, what did you think of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, all eight episodes of which are streaming on Prime Video right yes. now? Yes. I uh, I freaking love it. I freaking love the show. I was a little worried that, uh, you know, this is a reboot of the whole Mr. and Mrs. Smith concept, which was not originally the Brad Pitt movie. It was originally a Scott Bakula TV show in the 90s. You guys remember that? That was a whole thing. I don't, um, actually. This, Mr. This Quantum is like, Leap so himself? This has been redone before. Um, but I think this is, first of all, I love spy stuff. If you guys have been listening to us for long enough, you know how much I love that stuff. I think this is a great, um, this is like just a great look at that sort of world. Like what, what if like, yeah, you were a spy and you had to, uh, basically sign up with a partner and pretend to be married to this per person and go on missions together. What would that be like? And I think this show is funny and poignant and does end up like actually being kind of like emotional and meaningful, like towards the end. Like, I think it's. I think the show was excellent. It does everything I enjoy from spy fiction. Um, like they, um, it stars Donald Glover and Maya Erskine, and it was originally going to be Phoebe Waller Bridge too. And I'm kind of glad it's not because I really like Maya Erskine in this. And they're basically playing these two spies who live in New York and go on missions, you know, and just their characters are interesting. The setups that they put them in, the guest stars that pop up. Like I, I basically clapped and cheered in every episode based on what new face popped up because I wasn't watching trailers for this ahead of time. So I had a lot yeah, of fun with it. There's big yeah. cameo, big, na big name actors. Name actors have cameos throughout the whole It's show, really, so, I mean, yeah. and then I started looking at the trailers and I'm like, oh, some of them are a little 
they're kind of it's kind of cheating a bit. But I would say from the very first scene of the show, which we we don't even have to say exactly what happens. Like I was hooting and hollering. I was like, I kid up. Oh, I see what you're doing. That's hilarious. This is actually a ton of fun that you're doing this. It seems self-aware, you know, of the spy genre and also of the, you know, the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie film. But it's also like doing its own thing. The action's really good. The characters are great. I think it's really well written. It's a handsome looking show too. I think a bunch of the episodes are directed by Hiro Murai from Atlanta. A lot of the Atlanta uh, writing folks are involved too, or at least like a couple folks from Atlanta. So it's cool. I'm really digging it. I'm glad that like, Donald Glover has this um, very successful reboot because I think he also shines in a lot too. Jeff Kanade, you also had a chance to watch the show. How many episodes? It sounds like Devinger finished it. How many episodes did you watch, Jeff? I have two more to go. Got it. Okay, cool. And what would you think? I would go even farther. I think this is a one of the best shows I've seen in a long time. This is phenomenal. And it's not just starring Donald Glover. It's co-created by Donald Glover, him mm -hmm. and Francesca Sloan, who teamed up for Atlanta and she worked on Fargo. Uh, and this, I think this show is utter genius. I, I mean, Davindra, you kind of talked about how it, 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 it's take on the spy genre. I think this in a well-worn subgenre of spy stuff. Uh -huh. This finds new ground to break every single episode. I could not believe how original and unique it felt. Nothing, nothing in the show resolved the way I thought it would. Every episode felt like a revelation of a, a, a it's kind of establishes a trope that is very, very familiar. And yet, goes off in such interesting directions and it's hilarious. It's insightful. It is really much more a vision of a, a budding relationship. It's a relationship mm -hmm. drama mm -hmm. trapped in inside a spy movie and gloriously. So like it, you really are hanging out with these people that behave in a, I mean, there's a scene in one of the early episodes that's like about holding in your farts with each other, <laughs> yes. you know, it's yeah. just like total uh, rom-com, like it, it, fun, funny stuff. But also when it gets to the action stuff, the action stuff is great. It is, as you said, a gorgeously shot show. They go to these incredible locations. I mean, it really feels expensive. It feels like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what you want out of a Bourne movie or a James Bond movie where we're going to, you know, we're going to Switzerland, we're going to Italy, we're like yeah. all these, you know, jet setting, wonderful kind of expensive looking places. Uh, it has all of that. The action is killer it, and it's super fun and funny and never, never, never failed to surprise me. I just love this show. And it is, uh, it, it is the coolest way if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, we want to do a Mr. and Mrs. Smith thing. Like, you know, mm -hmm, that movie was, mm -hmm. it, it occurs to me that we just can't get original stuff these days. So like you have to mask your original ideas inside the Trojan horse of an established IP. And that feels what the show is to a T. It's like, Most definitely. Yeah, we're going to yeah. take this thing that everybody knows and not do it at all. How you would think we're going to do basically like an origin story of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But we we have different actors, so we're gonna subvert even that expectation. It's 
brilliant. I am so astounded by how unconventional, original, trailblazing this is inside a sub genre that I feel like I've seen every way you can take it. And it just feels so fresh. Yeah. We'll be talking about this week, like how badly that can go when you don't take it anywhere fresh, right? (laughs) Right, right. Well, I'm glad you guys both enjoyed the show. Uh, I I also like it. I'm I'm not quite as hot on it as either of you are, but uh, I, I still Shocking. think it's quite a fun. Yes, this is, I know this is a huge surprise, uh, but I still think it's, it's quite a fun romp, and mm-hmm. I would recommend it. I think it's like how much have you seen at this point? Yeah. I've seen the first half of the show. So okay, um, but it does like it does escalate. Like it escalates quite a lot. I'll say like uh, it's only eight episodes, and I feel like the biggest criticism i can have is it does feel like it kind of accelerates this relationship and the stuff around it and that's my biggest problem maybe 10 episodes but, would have been great that, 10, that's my biggest problem is i feel like uh well yeah mm-hmm. I, you know I, I i don't i don't want jeff just delivered a very uh enthusiastic yeah, yeah. defense of it i don't want to you know it's, i want to know what I you don't think wanna, though yeah well, okay I, I would say my biggest issues are first of all i think that the 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 pace of the relationship feels like a little bit too fast for me. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Um, the way that the relationship develops just like, usually it'd be like, Oh, I would expect we wouldn't get to that point until episode eight out of 10, you know, right, instead right. of episode two. That's kind of um, what I liked about it though. It like, yeah. doesn't, doesn't fuck around. Fa- that's know. fair. Uh, and then, and then the spy stuff uh, is like, the show is beautiful. It's directed by like, really talented people and so like i, I amy no... simmons is involved too like amy simmons gets a couple episodes that's cool yeah that's so yeah, cool yeah. um yeah. but i just can't take any of that stuff seriously in the slightest and maybe that's the point but like i was originally watching it thinking oh like this might be like an interesting commentary on you know how the spy organizations treat their treat their people or whatever and and um the the spy stuff is very funny it's very goofy, but it's not something that I I can take seriously. You, you will, you well, will it's not see. intended I, to. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, that's it, what I'm saying. It, like, like the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith, right? Is this over the top? Right. It's James Bond. It's not, you know, it's not uh, CIA. Not, you know, not even Born. Like Born is a little more grounded and gritty. Yeah, I will say like this is a show that always understands the assignment, right? If you are in a ski chalet, like you're gonna give me a like a nice like James Bond shootout in the middle of the snow at some point. If you're in a tiny little Italian town, you're gonna give me a car chase in those uh, really narrow streets, right? That's your job, and this show always right. delivers. All that, that stuff respect. is great. Yeah. All that stuff is very is highly enjoyable. But um, most of the spy stuff we watch takes itself deathly seriously, and I actually think that's an asset and not a downside. And it's like all this stuff, like it has this like really self serious structure through which you can make one liner quips or social commentary, whatever the heck you want to do. Um, and I will say, you know, the 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 way the spy stuff works in this show, it, it leans a little bit more into Argyle territory than towards James Bond territory, and I did not. We should do uh, a spoiler not, recap once you guys are done. It's yeah, not uh, it's not not kind of to my taste, but the show is a lot of fun. I, I think it is worthwhile. I would wholeheartedly recommend it to anyone as an enjoyable show to watch. No, no doubt about that. Um, I'm just not quite as like this is a masterpiece. I don't quite feel like this is a masterpiece as I know. It doesn't feel like different to you is the thing too. Like I think Maya Erskine, who we know from Pen15, right? And not an actress I would be like, oh, I could see her in an action spy show, right? But she's here and she holds her own. Yeah, like, she's great. There's so great. many things that I'm like. The, ca- I did the not casting is great. But both of them yeah. are great. They have great chemistry with each other. There's a you know, it's com- it's extremely compulsively watchable for sure. So 
Uh, lots to recommend. Again, I am overall positive. I would say like seven and a half to eight out of ten. That's me. You know, like uh, I'm just not like nine or ten out of ten. That's all I'm saying. So uh, let's check in once you guys all finish. I'd all right, sounds good. Mister and Mrs. Smith is all streaming right now on Prime Video. We also all had the chance to watch The Greatest Night in Pop, which is streaming right now on Netflix. It also debuted at Sundance, apparently. I know we said we wouldn't talk about Sundance movies anymore, but this one is available for everyone on Netflix. Um, this so, is the night where Pepsi and Coke <laughs> and RC Cola <laughs> RC all got Cola. together in one room. It's The Greatest Night in Pop. You know, I was having lunch with uh, Eric D. Snyder, former uh, film cast guest at Sundance. And we we were eating at a restaurant and the, the, the restaurant did not have any Coca-Cola products, right? They're like Pepsi only. And Eric was like, why do people still carry Pepsi? It's it doesn't crazy. make any sense. And, and I said, you know, it's probably because um, Pepsi gives them favorable financial terms. And, <laughs> uh, and then Eric, he said, I brought up, he says, you know, now that you mention it, when I was in Portland, there was this business that had RC Cola. Uh, they're serving RC Cola, no Pepsi, no Coke. And I, I was asking, like, why do you serve RC Cola? And he said, well, because if something like the machine breaks down, no one at Pepsi gives a shit, you know? Right, like, but if right, you call right. RC Cola, they're, like, right there. They're, they're there within <laughs> they two hours. They pay me to We're serve all you got. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's the one restaurant serving all RC Cola. We got to take care of them. I'm just saying, there's, like, whenever RC you... himself shows up. <laughs> <laughs> whenever uh whenever somebody asks the question is pepsi okay there's probably a reason behind it yeah okay? that's all uh, regal saying. regal cinemas switched to pepsi over the pandemic and i will never forgive them for it yeah like it is it doesn't taste just not good. the same it doesn't taste as good. doesn't hit good yeah can i it, tell you guys something that'll yeah. make you immediately hate me yes oh boy uh, i haven't had you, a soda. you do it every week jeff why stop yeah let's go let's <laughs> <Yeah>. go <laughs> i haven't had a soda in years of years of my life wow I'm I, amazing I stopped, jeff. I stopped drinking soda pop Interesting. Well, so I don't drink sugary soda. That is, that was like my line. But you know what? There's, you know you I know what is like redundant. great. <laughs> there's no such thing as non-sugary no. soda. Well, there's Jeff. Diet, there's a ton of non-sugar. What are diet, you talking about? There's diet sodas. Oh, diet soda oh. has existed forever. Sugar, like even sugar-free things that don't right. use. So like, you put in whatever that weird chemical is. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Wow. wow, being very judgy about other yeah. people's choices. <laughs> First, Jeff has to uh, put his uh, uh, yeah your noble statement, no yeah. soda. But now you get to judge the soda drinkers. Okay, Jeff. First okay. it's fuck birds, then it's yeah. fuck soda, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I will tell you, there is nothing, like, greater than, like, an ice-cold can of Diet Coke. And that first sip, and was like, well, that does hit very well, you know, Listen, for me. I, I didn't stop because I didn't like it. And the same thing with beef. I don't eat beef. I haven't eaten beef in 20 years. That's understandable. I, not yeah. because I didn't like it. You know what I've been drinking recently? I've been, I, I, I drink one of these a day, mm-hmm. okay, is I drink this thing called poppy soda. Uh, it's, you can buy it from Costco now. It's four grams of sugar per can, which is, and like 25, 30 calories. So it's not Mm -hmm. like artificial stuff. Uh, and, uh, it is an extreme, it gives you many of the benefits of soda with many of the downsides removed. That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. I mean, listen, like for me, I also drink Sprite Zero. So that's, you know, that's bad, but that's bad, but whatever (laughs) we get to, we get to live. Okay. Like we're also worried about so many things. It's like, I don't, I don't know. I need something to enjoy because every time I look in social media, the world just seems to be getting worse. Right. So. I'll take my day. Devendra needs a can of soda Listen, to look forward to it. To live. I need something Why do you want to live? take I, that away? I, I withdraw my form. <laughs> I certainly understand uh, coping mechanisms. And I, yeah. I, listen, 
I, sh- I sugar is my vice. I will uh, die on the hill of needing to have sugar. I, uh, I get it, Devidra. I also have children. I get it. Yeah, it's yeah. the oh, Mr. No, they don't get Mrs. sugar soda. Co- Coca Cola is the Mister and Mrs. Smith of sodas. <laughs> I honestly, or Devidra, the the, uh, the the calculus that I made was I'd rather get sugar into my body in a different manner. Mm. That's yeah, that's yeah, 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 truly yeah, yeah. what I decided. Is like yeah. I I don't love this enough to have this be the way I intake that amount of sugar. It's also rather... way too much sugar. Like it is yeah, insane yeah. how much sugar is in a soda. I so, don't yeah. say only four grams of sugar. You know how many teaspoons of sugar that is? It's no. like, it's like eight, 10 teaspoons of sugar for four grams. Uh, okay. I point okay, I nine gram, point nine teaspoons, Jeff is the co- conversion. So, uh, no, I'm reading a teaspoon to gram is point two. One gram is 0.2 teaspoons. Okay, so yes, 0.9 yeah. teaspoons. That's right. It's it's less than one teaspoon of sugar. <laughs> Jeff, what are it's, you doing? It's less than how much you put in a cup of tea. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. I withdraw all of the things <laughs> you're that I'm Jeff, first denies really existence flailing. of diet, diet sodas. Now. How dare you impugn the sugarless nature of poppy, Jeff Canada? How I, dare uh, you? The I've, poppy uh, community. Will not stand for this. <laughs> You're right. All right. Uh, I, I apologize I to everyone. I'm going to get emails. I should just never be on the yeah, show again. Yeah. Uh, uh, I have not introduced happier. my kids to sugary sodas, and I am I'm del- deliberately trying to avoid that. So that mm. is my thing. Like they get Lacroix occasionally. My daughter, who is five, like loves Lacroix. It's great. I I understand. Like there are things there that are mysterious, and we don't quite know, but. We know the dangers of oversugaring young kids. So yeah, you know, Lacroix La- La- is the thing. other direction. It's like it's the other with thing. a strawberry Lacroix. It's, it's like somebody thought about fruit and then breathed <laughs> on the container. It's like uh, a yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the flavoring that you get with Lacroix. Anyway, like okay, something. Um, and also, Jeff. Hey, I I, I agree. I, I don't drink uh, the sugar, the full sugar stuff either. It, it, yes, it does, I, listen, I'm not judging anybody else. I'm trying to defend myself. Yes, <laughs> that's absolutely, all I'm doing. absolutely. All right, all right. The greatest night in pop. Is not about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> we did have a really good, that was a good segue. It is actually about uh, the recording of the song called We Are the World. Now, uh, those of the younger listeners of the show may not know about what Well, this they is, are the right? children. That's they are the children. <laughs> that's the problem with the I, younger listeners. You know, it's weird. I heard We Are the Children, is what I heard. <laughs> oh. Anyway, we are the we world. Used to be it, the children. We are the world is a uh, charity single that was produced in 1985. Four. Uh, what'd you say? Uh, whatever. I think it was. Yeah. Whatever. Go ahead. Uh, recorded in 1985, and the idea is that it was uh, produced by a huge assortment of the biggest, or you know, sung, recorded, produced by the biggest assortment of musical talent available in the world. Uh, in order to raise money to help to alleviate famine in Africa. And the Netflix documentary, The Greatest Night in Pop, uh, attempts to take you inside the room, the recording studio, for the one night when this recording happened. And it was only one night. It wasn't like they recorded this over the course of like six days. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they only had one chance to get everyone together, all these big stars. It's such a heist movie. Yeah. Is the thing, like this whole story, yeah. Uh, okay, so, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to like compare like what, what would be the equivalent of 
who was in that room, right? Taylor the, Swift, Taylor Dua Lipa. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, the Weeknd, you know, yeah, like yeah. Eminem, like having like all those people, Beyonce, like having all those people in one room, Billie Eilish, right? Like imagine yeah. getting, now, but it's it wasn't just like six or seven people. It was like 30, 40, 50 people, it right? Was 40, like in one yeah. room. Yeah. So it's like 40 people in one room of the biggest musicians in the world at the time. Um, n- nothing like it has ever happened since as far as i can tell right i mean and i would mm-hmm. i would i would say if people i mean this is also you know old now but if people recall right after 911 there was that like mm, tv yeah. special where that had literally everybody you've ever heard of um mm, yeah, asking yeah. For yep. donations i think that's the only equivalent that's happened since right but back then in 1985 it was lionel richie stevie wonder uh, Paul Simon, Kenny Rogers, Tina Turner, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Diana Ross, et cetera. So many more people. I'm not going to list them all. Yeah. Uh, but it's just these huge, huge names. Uh, and yeah, this documentary t- talks about like the logistics of what it was like to execute that recording and what the actual recording of the song was like and all the stuff that happened in the room. Because I think from what I could tell, it took probably around 12 hours, right? Like to record the song once, mm-hmm. once everyone got there. Um, but Jeff Kanata, what were your thoughts on this documentary on Netflix? The greatest. I mean, I, I'm a little older than you guys, so We Are the World was a big moment in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Right, I was eight uh, when when it happened, and so you know, I, I remember it vividly, and it was everywhere, and it was you know ubiquitous. And you don't even as an adult person, you don't really think about the logistics of pulling this off, mm-hmm. but. This movie is all logistics, and it's, I think, intriguingly so. I, I really mm-hmm. had a good time watching this. I mean, there's, it's part fly on the wall in that you, you know, the, the strength of the, of the documentary is that they got the raw footage because one of the wildest things about this is that they were, they were recording the song from z- zero, and recording the music video for the song right. in the same moment, yeah, which yeah. never, ever happens, yeah, right? Yeah, That's, yeah. It's a strange thing. So they had a bunch of cameras in the room while they're at, literally trying to learn the song and record the song and do it right. Um, so you have all this raw footage of, you know, fly on the wall process stuff of yeah. that. And also what never happens is these massive artists as they say numerous times in the actual documentary itself uh without their hangers on without mm-hmm. their yeah. entourages without their buffers simply pressed up against each other intimidated by their peers competing with their peers so you have this like level of vulnerability that you never see with a certain stature of artist and let's be frank this is the top of the top. Yeah, you know, right, I right. think there's going to be a probably a um, a generation of people who will look at this and not register how massive a convergence this is. Yeah, but for somebody that grew up in the '80s, it's like the idea that Michael Jackson would be standing next to literally anyone else in that moment is remarkable yeah. in and of itself. But then you have like Diana Ross and Bob Dylan and you know, just like, just like Bruce Springsteen, you Springsteen. know, Springsteen. Yeah. Young Bruce Springsteen. And you know, everybody has an opinion about everybody. I mean, you have Ray Charles is there 
Waylon Jennings freaking walks out at one point. It's crazy. And <laughs> Dan um, Aykroyd is there, dude. Guys. Dude, that, Dan well, I was going to get to that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. John. Which sorry. is <laughs> the worst part about this documentary <laughs> is uh-huh. the glaring omission that I've literally thought about my entire life. <laughs> uh huh. Uh-huh. Which is why is Dan Aykroyd there? You mean no- what, notable pop singer Dan Aykroyd? What <laughs> does? Dan Aykroyd think he's doing there. There's the, the fact that this documentary was made and we have interviews with Cindy Lauper <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and Huey Lewis and, and Stevie wonder, or not Stevie wonder, uh, Lionel Richie, but we don't have an interview with Dan Aykroyd. He's right, still that, here. That, he's out yeah, here he's selling still alien vodka. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure he's cannot make this press. movie without interviewing Dan Aykroyd and going, <laughs> what were you thinking? Standing there, Next to all of these people. <laughs> I mean, that alone was proof that Dan Aykroyd uh, always had more balls than Bill Murray. Oh, How about dude. that? Like, just, just to stand there and pretend you even belong uh, in that uh, room. Okay. You know? I, I texted a, uh, like, musician uh-huh. friend of, like, somebody who's, very, like, a very prominent uh, person in the in the music world. Oh, wow. And I asked uh, this person, uh can you please explain why Dan Aykroyd was there? Really, Taylor Swift, tell me why. <laughs> really unfortunate that the doc does not explain this in critical de- <laughs> this cr- critical detail. And this person responded, "It was peak Ghostbusters era. Right. It's hard to describe now, but it was an enormous cultural phenomenon, mm-hmm, the kind mm-hmm. that doesn't really happen much anymore. Plus, he was a blues brother. So sure. yeah, no, that's the only thing I can think of was he's a blues brother, but yeah, he's not yeah. the blues brother that sings. <laughs> I think they were they were it was probably during one of the early phases of the thing uh-huh. uh, when they were just happy to get anyone Stars. who had star they, power. They on wanted board, star right? power, but that but- does not answer the question <laughs> sufficiently for me. Like I understand why the producers are like, let's invite the biggest stars in the world. But what does Dan Aykroyd think <laughs> when he's standing I- there? And the craziest thing too is, if you recall, because it, there's so many people who are just name above the title, massive megastars involved in this, the only thing they could do on every piece of publication that showed who was involved is list people alphabetically. Right. Which means Dan Aykroyd <laughs> is always the first name in the list of people. That's why he did it. That's it's why. incredible. And even as, a, even as an eight-year-old child, Whenever they show the music video and they're panning across and there's Dan fucking Aykroyd there, even as an eight-year-old, I'm like, one of these things is not like the other. You know, it is. Anyway, so that is my biggest. My Boy, really, a- my a- Adam Aronson is really upset that he didn't get yeah. picked for the. Well, all they had to do was invite Adam Ant, and he would've, it would have been fine. But um, it, I I really enjoyed this. You get to see, like I said, you get to see like a level of vulnerability, like. Just the Huey Lewis stuff alone mm-hmm. yes. is worth watching this. For. I love Huey Lewis. I love his line in that in that song was supposed to be Prince's line, which I always was sad as a massive Prince fan that mm-hmm. Prince didn't participate. Prince wanted to show up and do a guitar solo, which is amazing because it's like there's no guitar in this. You song. gotta. But, um, <laughs> uh, but the fact that Huey Lewis always, in my opinion, as somebody who listened to that song ad nauseum, like every other human on the planet at that time, <laughs> like he crushes that line. Huey Lewis's line is one of the best parts of that song by far. And like just getting insight into how he did it, how nervous he was, like him being super vulnerable, even now talking about it is 
worth the price of admission alone. And I love the Lionel Richie stuff. It's just, it's, it's so a good. fun voyeuristic thing. And also like the pure, like stepping you through step-by-step step how it was yes, done. You get to kind yes. of see mm-hmm. how a song is constructed. I really, I had a good time with it. See, seeing Lionel Richie and Michael Jackson, just or him telling the story of breaking that song. Yeah. I think it's just like, that kind of gave me chills. Like it's, it's sort of like how you could just like pull things out of the ether. Right. And it kind of feels like that moment where like they both kind of came up with this beat and Michael Jackson just kind of went with it too. And it's it, crazy. it reminded me of uh Jeff, you talking about that Beatles documentary on Disney. Yes. Plus, right. Yes. yes. Uh, Get back. Is that what it's called? Um, where like you, you're, you're seeing songs being conceived that will eventually reach millions of people. Yeah. Right? And that's, yes. that's kind of what this, you know, this and, is one and of the, and the people that are in it are not performing for the camera. Mm-hmm, They're right. just doing what they do and it's captured. So you have this, it's so fly on the wall. It's so intimate because it's not packaged. Like they didn't think this footage would ever be seen. So they're right. just being themselves. I mean, Al Jarreau is wasted. Like it's, I mean, there's going to, they show kind of warts and all what it's like. There's, you know, Bob Dylan is awkward and scared and like, it's so. The Bob Dylan stuff is incredible. That, yeah, that, that was yeah. the most moving part for me was, was seeing Bob Dylan and how that all played out. I'm not going to reveal it, but like yeah. how the Bob Dylan storyline played out was very moving to me. And you um, get to see, like you get to see the true musicianship of these pop stars, yeah. you know, people like Stephen Perry, where everybody's like, that guy fucking rock. Like other people you wouldn't think, think he's amazing. Daryl Hall. And you, and you, I walked away from it going, man, I really underestimated how good a voice Cindy Lauper has, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody's like, oh, Cindy crushed it. Like it's, it's cool. It's, it's a cool, especially if you have any memory of those people and how big they were in that time, you know? Yeah. The thing that really struck me about it was how much momentum you need to do something like this. Like you have so many personalities in the room. Everyone, these are the best artists in the world. Um, they ha- all have strong opinions on how things should be done. And if you stop for a minute, they're going to start voicing those opinions. Um, also, apparently it was like very hot. Like there's no AC in a lot of uh, recording studios because of the noise. And so very hot, getting kind of ripe in there. And like everyone's just kind of like, uh, Stevie Wonder's like, we should be swing- singing Swahili in there and, and, and so on. And um, yeah. Well, they're all used to being the captains of their own ships. Exactly, right? exactly. So. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like... Uh, when you have a lot of strong personalities, your best play is just to keep going. Like you have to just keep going, uh, which is, you know, my philosophy for this podcast many of the times. But I also will say that like imagining how they would do that, like the, the, the technology was incredible too, because today everything's digital, right? But back then it's like, Oh, we, we sing a take. Uh, We are the world. And then it's like, okay, let's do that again. Rewind takes five freaking minutes to rewind the physical tape to redub it, right? Like you can't just hit a button and do it again. And it's just like, wow, it would be so stressful to not make the day, to not get what you need. Yeah. To to get all these people together and it not actually amount to anything would be like one of the most, you know, yeah. The revelation I did not know of, maybe it was well-known at the time. It seemed to have been well-known at the time. I certainly wasn't aware of it as an eight-year-old that they did this, after everybody had already been to an award show. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Lionel Richie had hosted, hosted the award show. It was basically, they all pulled in, all, all these people pulled an all-nighter, basically. But like, we not just, just an all-nighter, yeah. not just like we're starting late, <laughs> we're going all night. You have already been to an entire event. <laughs> that, is is that is exhausting. That is exhausting, yeah. That yeah. some people in that crew performed in. 
You know, like they already performed that right. night. Yeah, this is wild. wild. And it's, I mean, this was also all done for African, fa- uh, like, uh, famine relief, too. Yeah. And I think that the fact that all these people got together to raise money for a good cause is also, hey, I would love to love to see that a little more now because we have a lot of causes in the world right now that need help and funding, too. Yeah. It, it definitely uh, recalls a time when people in America cared about people who are not in America, you mm. know, or yeah. at least sort tried of. To. Yeah. 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 Uh, but anyway, I also really enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I, I think, you know, the We Are the World has, is uh, such a part of our culture, but it's also been parodied. There's like there's an earnestness behind it that is like mm-hmm. very passe these days, right? I mean, when the, uh, the COVID thing with uh, Gal Gadot like happened, like that was immediately cringe for everybody, right? Like the whole, right. was it the Believe video or whatever? That's the biggest yeah. sign yeah. of the decline of our civilization, by the way. Is, uh, that was also yeah. terrible. We went from We Are the World to uh, Gal Gadot and her friends singing Imagine. Yes. Uh, can't, can't think of any bigger sign that we are heading towards the toilet as a civilization. Uh, we get a lot that, of signs. Then that, that trajectory. Yes. Yeah. Literally, literally cannot think of a single one, Devendra, other than that <laughs> one. So anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, that's why how you know it was written, you know, by or lyrics by Michael Jackson, because it's mm-hmm. so earnest and hard on its sleeve, you know, like we just and, and it was the 80s. The 80s was a, a, a different time. Right. <laughs> you know, right. there was a lot of less a lot less irony. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. True. Uh okay. So that's the greatest side of Devendra. Did you enjoy the documentary as well? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. Like, like I said, like seeing the song being uh, broken, like just Lionel Richie talking about that process. The whole idea of Michael Jackson basically doing songs with like bop, bop, bops, not like thinking yeah. in terms of instruments, but in terms of melody. I yeah. think is kind of fascinating too. Like, it's all it's all great. I watched this with my wife, and she's also you know she's an eighties kid too, so she enjoyed seeing all this. Uh, but it is like. It is not for anybody under 20, I guess, right? Like, this is, well, this is clearly for people who grew up with this context. They, they cool. do, like, the first part of the documentary, I was getting worried because mm-hmm. they do a thing where they, like, introduce these to the people and show why they were yes. popular at the time. And I was like, oh, is this We Are the World for Dummies? Is this like, hey, kids, mm. there was this thing back in the day, and here's right. a man whose name was Bruce Springsteen, and he was really, you know, I was really worried that that's what the documentary was going to be, was like, this is for people that weren't there, but I, it, it quickly becomes not that. And I, but I do think there's enough there to kind of educate folks that might not be, you know, supremely aware of it. Agreed. The documentary is the greatest night in pop. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Uh, it is highly enjoyable, especially if you are a child of the eighties. So uh, check it out if you want to learn more. Uh, let's take a break for another sponsor. We'll be back with more of what we've been watching right after this. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 
96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Okay, uh, just a couple of other things to bring up. I want to mention a short film that I believe was nominated for an Oscar. It's called The Last Repair Shop. Have you guys heard about this documentary by any chance? No. Uh, I, I've been getting served up. I think I, I'm I'm not exaggerating. I'm pretty sure I've seen an Instagram ad for this documentary like 15 to 20 times in my Instagram stories. Like I'm, I'm paging through my Instagram stories. I get served. Hey, check out the last repair shop. I'm like, what is, what, what is, I don't know what this is. And well, now then, we all will because you've been saying the name over and over. You're welcome. And then I uh, opened up Hulu and I saw this documentary was there. The last repair shop was right there. And it's a 40 minute short film. And uh, I watched it and it essentially chronicles what, ha- or it doesn't chronicle. It's like about this repair shop in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is one of the last cities in the country that provides free instruments for students that want them basically right so um if you are apparently a music student in los angeles you have the ability the opportunity or some some people do i don't it's not clear to me exactly how it works but um you have the opportunity to learn a musical instrument and this repair shop is responsible for keeping all i want to say eighty thousand instruments in good working order uh and this uh, documentary is really cool. It gave me a lot of um, ideas for like what what a documentary can be because it mm-hmm. basically examines the lives of the people who repair the instruments and like how did they come to be at this shop repairing instrument? Like what what are the the set of things that happen in their lives uh, that brought them to this place where they are repairing instruments? And I thought that was very interesting. I thought that they also like uh, talked to some students about um, how music is such an important part of their lives, how it can change their lives. And so it's a very, very moving documentary. It's beautifully shot. It shows you like the process, um, not not in detail, but it kind of shows you shots of the process of how they repair instruments. And it's very intricate, very meticulous, very detailed. And uh, I just had a great time with it. I thought it was very powerful, very moving. And I'd recommend it. If you are somebody who believes in the power of music, uh, and yeah, so I, I basically inadvertently ended up watching two documentaries about the <laughs> life-changing power of music this week, uh, and the first was Greatest Night in Pop. The second is The Last Repair Shop, and I would recommend it. It's streaming right now on Hulu. It's something I've been watching this week. Devendra Hardwar, you got one last thing for us, right? Yeah, real quick, I want to shout out. Uh, I saw this movie called Drift which uh, didn't, per- it, it was a Sundance movie. It was actually last year, um, but Utopia picked this up and I believe they're going to be releasing this soon. It's directed by Anthony Chen. It stars uh, Cynthia Revo and Alia Shawkat. And I just found it kind of beautiful and moving and just wanted to highlight it like so people can check it out when it's released. Uh, Cynthia Revo plays somebody, um, a person who 
seems to have escaped her country from Africa. She is stuck on a Greek island right now, and she's just sort of existing as a sort of like drifter or a migrant, you know, without any real support behind her. So it is really her kind of navigating this land, seeing how, you know, Greek tourists and people around her kind of react to her too. And she strikes up a friendship with Alia Shawkat's character. And I think they both like reveal really fascinating things about each other. So this is a beautiful movie um, that, you know, it gets a little more intense than I actually expected it to, but I love Cynthia Revo. We've talked about how good she is in like pretty much every single project we've covered. So I think this is one to keep an eye out for. Like it is very much, it feels like one of those really like prototypical Sundance movies. You're, you know, like where, it is somebody dealing with uh, tragedy and dealing with guilt and loss and things and trying to like find a center for themselves. But I think it's also really beautifully told and really, you know, incredibly well acted by Cynthia Revo. It's always great to see Alia Shawkat in something too. So this is a great little indie movie. So check out Drift when you can actually see it. Yeah. How did you, did you, uh, the publicist contact? Yeah, they, they reached yeah. out. Like I'm the details I can see right now is just like, Hey, this was a Sundance movie and Utopia picked it up last year for distribution. Mm. So, I assume something is going to happen soon with it, but I just wanted to put it on people's radars. There was a film critic uh, who uh, posted on threads that they were already watching Sundance. He's, this person yes. said like they're watching yes. Sundance movies, you know, getting ready so like, they can hit the ground running at Sundance. And I reached out. I was like, how are you getting Sundance screeners before just even at Sundance? And just apparently, ask. yeah, uh, you can reach out to publicists uh, yes. for specific movies, like on a movie by movie basis. It's super. And Actually, I have an update on this one, too, because I have a new email. Uh, Utopia will be released in New York and Los Angeles, uh, New York on February 9th. Los Angeles, February 16th, and it'll come uh, nationally on the 23rd. So this is a movie you'll be able to see soon as well. All right. Uh, well, that's Utopia. And that is what we have been watching this week. Let's get to our weekly plugs. That was Drift, by the way, not Utopia. Yeah, yeah, Drift. Uh, let's get to our weekly plugs. Weekly Plugs is a part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. You know, guys, for years I've been uh, recapping television shows over on the Decoding TV podcast. And uh, that's been wonderful and fun. Uh, but it comes with a very huge disadvantage, mm -hmm. which is if people don't watch the show, they don't listen to the podcast. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's you, a lot. You put your bets on. Two shows. It's I a see. lot higher commitment uh, to listen to a podcast about a TV show than to like read an article about a TV mm -hmm. show. You know what I'm saying? Like read an article could take like six minutes. But if you want to listen to a podcast, that's like an hour of your time uh, for a TV show. So anyway, um, not a great format for uh, general audiences. Uh, so over on Decoding TV, we have launched with a new weekly format. Where we're talking about a bunch of different topics and uh, should be easily accessible for anyone regardless of what television shows you're watching so check it out uh decoding tv wherever your podcasts can be downloaded uh, recently we discussed masters of the air which we didn't like very much and also expats the new lulu wong tv show on prime video which is uh not bad so check it out decoding tv wherever podcasts can be downloaded Divin your hardware your weekly plug Sure. I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, we basically reviewed the Samsung Galaxy S24 phone. So anybody who's into Android and into some of those new phones, you can hear some details about that. We also had a Chris Abel, uh, an Engadget reporter, on to talk about that Senate hearing with social media CEOs, which was kind of a, 
another kind of a shit show with, uh, you know, whenever the government gets involved with these things. But uh, we had a good chat about like what is happening and why the government is so interested in trying to protect kids online because it is a big deal. But things like COSA, the Kids Online Safety Act, are kind of a big problem if they actually move forward. So take a listen. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. I'm selling limericks. Uh, the limericks, like the kind you hear on this very podcast, you can have one of your very own made specifically for you, delivered by me by visiting cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. This is the only place I talk about these, uh, and I'm delighted that folks uh, find them valuable. You can head over to my Cameo page and read all of the wonderful five-star reviews I've gotten from people that have enjoyed getting limericks from me. Uh, check it out, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. The perfect valentine's day gift and of course i want to throw a shout out to patreon.com slash film podcast which is where you can support us and get access to ad-free episodes and exclusive after darks uh this last week on the after dark we welcomed uh chris rudd aka kit laser onto the after dark to talk about some of the sundance movies that we saw that uh we didn't talk about during the main show so if you want to hear our thoughts on that patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, we never want anyone to donate. If it in any way causes them financial hardship, you can always support us for free by leaving a review for us on Apple podcast or sharing about the show. We're posting videos on Instagram at the Filmcast pod. Uh, you can always share about the show, share our reels and help us to spread the word about the show. It really does help and does make a difference. Thanks so much to everyone who makes this podcast possible. Let's get to our review of Argyle. I certainly hope you dance as well as you dress. There's only one way to find out. You and I, we're not so different. Agent Argyle. Little help? Hold on. Phenomenal, sweetie, but what happens next? It's called a cliffhanger, Mother. Ellie, it's called a cop-out. Welcome to the film cast review of Matthew Vaughn's newest film, Argyle, which is in theaters right now. I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet. Reclusive author Ellie Conway writes best-selling espionage novels about a secret agent named Argyle who's on a mission to unravel a global spy syndicate. However, when the plots of her book start to mirror the covert actions of a real-life spy organization, the line between fiction and reality begin to blur, end quote. Devendra Hardwar, I think you and I have always had an affinity for Mr. Matthew Vaughn. Sure. Me too. Uh, me too. Even though he was a jerk to me at Comic-Con. Yes, I have an affinity <laughs> for him. And Jeff, can, I was going yeah. to start with yeah. Devendra. I wasn't saying Jeff doesn't, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, you I said the three of us, the three of us, sure. That, that's fair. That's it fair. It did I'm, seem like you were excluding me from the Vaughn fun. Sorry. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to say for me personally, mm-hmm. uh, the Vaughn method has had diminishing returns as time has gone on. It's gotten know? worse and worse. I think, you know, that King, way. Kingsman was fun and first class was a great X-Men movie. And then there was Kingsman two and then the Kingsman. Yeah. And then now there's Ar- two more of those movies coming there's, guys. There's mm-hmm. more. And also yeah. I think Kingsman was the point where, like, I mean, listen from Lair cake to kick ass to a lot. Like we've seen, we've seen the trend. Stardust is great. Stardust, I love Stardust is a phenomenal movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, Definitely somebody who has had some really great hits and movies that we really enjoy and appreciate. And yeah, mm-hmm. there would be no 
James, like Daniel Craig, James Bond, probably without layer cake. So he did like shape pop culture. Sure, in, sure. In he did. Ways. I mean, yeah. Locks, yeah. He produced Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, he was is, most famously Guy Ritchie's producer before. Yeah, kicked off movies. Guy Ritchie's career. You know, so like, uh, he's he's done some things that are are really valuable and interesting for pop culture. But as time has gone on, I feel like the affection for him has waned. Uh, meanwhile, in comes this movie Argyle, an Apple original movie made for what I understand is around two hundred million dollars. Amazing. Uh, that is is trying to reinvigorate the spy genre, and even stars one of our favorite spies from Mission Impossible Fallout, Henry Cavill. So the question is, Devinder Hardwar. Is this movie a return to form for Matthew Vaughn or does the Matthew Vaughn method continue to yield diminishing results? What do you think? I think this is another step in the precipitous fall of Matthew Vaughn. I think he has reached the point where nobody can tell him no anymore. And that is a dangerous thing for any artist. And I think we first started to see signs of this in uh, it was Kingsman 2. The whole Elton John thing, Elton John doing a flying sidekick. I remember being in the theater and being like, oh, that's. Oh, okay. I know we're not trying to use the word cartoonish in a bad way, but it just seems like more and more of his sensibilities are just like, hey, wouldn't that be hilarious? This is so funny. Um, And I think he's doing a lot of things that are funny to him and that maybe tickle him in certain ways. And this movie is such an example of of all his bad impulses, I guess. Like it is, hey, it has so many things I like. I like... um, I like Henry Cavill. I like a lot of the cast. Uh, a lot of people pop up that we really like in this movie. Um, I even like like playing like with the the sort of like meta story of a spy film and everything. The entire first scene of this movie, which we see a lot of in the trailer, is cliched for a reason because it is like hitting all those spy movie tropes. And they even say uh, we are no, you know, we're not very different. You and I like I love all those things, but he fails to like make it feel grounded or interesting so it's really the action like the, this movie opens up with like a very over-the-top whole action sequence and chase sequence and fight and everything and you buy it because okay it's being told it's being framed as like this is the story this is like a very cliched spy story that's what we're watching the actual movie ends up being kind of just that right is the thing right and i think i just hate the way he shoots action now and i think that we will remember um, when we reviewed Kingsman. I think everybody went crazy for the Colin Firth uh, church scene. Oh my God, Colin Firth kicking ass, right? Never seen that before. And I never bought that scene. I never bought that scene because it always felt like it felt abrupt. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like real. It didn't feel like anybody was actually, like actual humans were doing a lot of the movement. And we've seen a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. Like Matthew Vaughn does a lot of like trickery for his choreography to make actors who aren't like fully prepared who haven't trained six months for a movie like this as you may see in like a john wick to kind of make it seem like they are and after a point it just feels like you're just you're just playing with action figures it just it doesn't feel real or exciting or grounded it doesn't feel like the action is telling me anything and this movie is just ultimately filled with that the sort of action that makes my eyes roll because it's not it feels weightless i don't know the space you're in like i just to me it's just like showy but not actually demonstrating or conveying anything to the audience. So hate the action. I think the story of this movie is very, very dumb. It's filled with twists and turns. This is a movie that gets dumber the more it goes along too. So, which is a damn shame. I want to like his movies. Like, um, as we were saying, I think all his early stuff, Lair Cake, Stardust, uh, Kick-Ass. I remember the whole Comic-Con buzz around Kick-Ass. Like that was one of the first things we covered 
when I was doing Comic Con with Slash Film and I met him in person. He was kind of a jerk to me, but I still liked his movies. Um, it just feels like we have fallen far from that era where he was really trying to prove himself. And now he feels like he has proven and nobody can say this looks really stupid. Please don't do this. Or the character motivation doesn't make any sense here or the story doesn't make any sense. So this, unfortunately, yeah, is not a very successful spy movie. And it's a damn shame. And it's actually doubly disappointing because I have come off the high of burning through all eight episodes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is so fun and so energetic and does so many fresh things with spy tropes to see this. It just feels sad and disappointing from somebody I know who can do better. I want to talk a little bit about the opening scene. Uh, oh, so do like, I. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, Jeff, will, will this step on anything you had planned or? Yes, but that's okay. okay. No, no, you, you go, it, then you go first, Jeff, you go first. So, so let's go. So Jeff Kanata, tell us about your thoughts on Argyle. Well, they've, I guess you could say my thoughts on Argyle are best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right, let's let's hear it, Jeff Kanata. I like Matthew Vaughn films a lot. And wow, what a great cast they got. How much fun this could be as a pure comedy. Instead, it's destroyed by its plot. Mm. 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 Nicely done, Jeff. I, I specifically want to talk about that first the first yes. two scenes of this yes movie. we got to yeah. talk about which so we which are going to are going to be this, spoiling yes. we're going to be uh, yep. like there, there are spoilers later that we will not talk about yep. and honestly to really talk about this movie you have to talk about the spoilers so we will get into that yeah but mm-hmm. i'm going to spoil the first two scenes yes yep. because let's do it let's do it. this movie's tone is all over the place and yep. what it does is it it starts with as davindra referenced a over-the-top wacky stylized tongue-in-cheek winking at the audience goofy spy movie we're a parody of a spy movie and then we pull out and we see oh bryce dallas howard is sitting in front of an audience of people reading out loud from a book what does that communicate to the audience that communicates to the audience that that's not how the real world works We have established that now we are in a grounded world that is different from this over-the-top stylized world. And yet, in that scene, we have a couple of people who stand up in the audience to ask questions. And the questions are, wow, as an author, you have gotten to the truth of spying. You have, you're the the spy author. You're the new John Le Carre. Yes, you're the spy author that real spies read. And immediately, as an audience member, you go, "Huh? What? Yeah, yeah. That doesn't yeah. track." Uh, now I'm, I'm, yes. <laughs> I, I don't under, kind of understand right, right. what this movie is doing. Okay, but now we have her going home and talking to her mom and talking to her cat and trying to figure out the end of her novel. All very normal, grounded human things in this world that has been established is very different from the -the over-the-top stylized spy world until it isn't. And then, again, tiny spoiler. I apologize, but this isn't really It's in the trailer. Like, people know the pitch. Then we have Sam Rockwell, who shows up, who is is taking the place of, uh, of, um, what's his name? Henry Cavill. Henry Henry Cavill. The the real archive. And she is thinking, oh my gosh, is there a real life version of my over the top crazy character who 
has been cast by this movie to look like the grounded, real, not crazy superhuman, a, a, a real dude. And so we are further being taught by the vocabulary of this movie to expect that mm -hmm. there is a difference between the false, over-the-top parody world and the grounded Sam Rockwell is a real spy world until that starts to be behave in goofy, dumb ways. This movie is part Austin Powers mm -hmm. and part James Bond and part, you know, uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond, right? I, it, I, my, it, it feels like the, between Austin Powers and Kingsman, I don't feel like it ever goes to the well, Bond it, level, it, to be honest. I think it, or maybe yes, like that's, octop that's, octopusy bond, like yeah, that maybe. level of like. So, bond, but it, yeah. but it, but there is like a taking itself seriously, right. Angle to it. I, my personal preference is I wish it just stayed Austin Powers. Mm -hmm. Just the entire first act of establishing her as the author and the and the world it fails miserably. And it completely undermines the entire rest of the movie. In, in, I mean, we'll get to the spoilers and I, I want to explain even mm -hmm. more what I mean by that. But it is so unnecessary, so stupid. The premise of this movie is fundamentally dumb. I want to say what the premise is. If you don't want to hear the premise of this movie... Well, maybe I'll wait for spoilers. Yeah, I'll let's wait, wait for spoilers. spoilers. But wait I want to I want to speak to that specifically. Yeah. The whole Sam the, Rockwell thing, like that is all in the trailer. So that is what people are going in to expect, right? Two well, different I'll, I'll worlds. I'll wait for spoilers spot. to yeah. say yeah. specifically what I what I mean here. But but it it destroys what could have been like by the end, I think the cartoonish in a good way, uh the the sort of um Looney Tunes, wacky, mm -hmm. over-the-top fun that we're having. I was like, this is actually joyful. I actually really like when this movie just forgets reality altogether and goes for it. But, like, just be that movie the whole time. Don't tell me that that's this fictional world and then make it encroach on the real world. I think somewhere along the line, Vaughn and his team thought, man, wouldn't it be funny if the real world turns out to be as weird as the fictional right. world. But right. what you're communicating to the audience is that that's not the case. And subverting that later on only makes us go, what? This doesn't, because we're ex our expectation is to be in a different grounded reality. And there's no signposting of it. It just starts being silly and the silliness comes across as dumb as like these this is just stupid instead mm -hmm. of oh it could have been austin powers from the whole beginning from the from the word go and now we're in a comedy we're having fun the whole time that's clearly the movie they wanted to make and the twists that get us there are so not worth it so not worth it i don't want to talk specifically about that later but go ahead dave yeah i think you you nailed it jeff the tones are a mess and I felt the story was starting to go out of control in the first 10 minutes of the movie. Oh, absolutely. When yes. the, again, the, it's that moment you mentioned at the book reading, the audience member stands up and says, your work has been compared to the work of John le Carre. I'm like, 
what? Yeah. You know, people are dressed be- up as Argyle, which, by the way, Argyle looks hideous. Like, just so many choices, like the hair, <laughs> the suit, just the, so many choices the, yes. were made in this movie. I'm like, what have you done to Henry Cavill? This is Superman. You make him look like a dork. I don't, I don't I cannot buy this. Yeah, that's that that was rough. Uh but yeah, it would be like watching, I don't know, uh or, or re- what what's a, what's a good example like reading Harry Potter and saying like sure. this is this is an ex- excellent examination of what uh, <laughs> yeah. a true to life examination like 20, of it's, it's like looking at 24, right? And talking to oh, the producer right, sure. 24 and being like, "Oh, this is like yeah. actually a yeah, pretty realistic how... interpretation <laughs> of uh counterterrorism, right?" Thank you. That's much yes. better than Harry Potter, which is based yeah. off of fantasy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like yeah, 24. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is uh, tr- realistic or um, mm-hmm. you know, ER. I guess ER is kind of ER realistic, tries but it's not, to be. It's not yeah. as intense, you know. Anyway, I mean, yeah. it's even well, it's even more it's, than that. It's yeah, like yeah. It, it, yeah. it's just like it's a like goofy saying, one. Yeah, Dumb and Dumber is a grounded uh, relationship <laughs> drama. Yes, you yes. know. Yes, or, or um, the the beekeeper is a really great <laughs> yeah. examination of of beekeeper a- beekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Of the, well, of the your honey work, market. <laughs> your work has been cited as one of the greatest, most true to life works on the art of beekeeping. You know, it's like <laughs> it just doesn't that doesn't make any sense. Like. And so um, the fact that there is no difference in tones is bad. I am sure lots of visual artists worked really hard on this film and mm-hmm. and worked for a long time. But the problem with this movie, I think, is in a lot of how it looks. It looks weightless. It looks like it was shot on the volume. It doesn't look like uh, anyone is actually doing the things that they're doing in the movie. Yes. It looks like yeah. digital doubles or whatever, you know. Very little of it feels real, and that's a huge bummer. I think we've gotten from you know kick ass for all of its downsides. I felt like for a lot of that movie, those people were physically doing the things yeah. that they were doing. The, in that the, movie, the you know? least believable part was like uh Batman being on fire, and that never looked good in kick ass. But the action, people moving, that was usually good, yeah. And as time has gone, you know, first class had some really nice moments and some not as great moments from a CG perspective. And then like Kingsman, so on and so forth. And now we're at this point where it takes, I think it takes a lot of skill on the mm-hmm. part of the director to blend CG and real life action seamlessly. Obviously, one of the canonical examples of this is Mad Max Fury Road. Sure. Um, you know, tons of CG in that movie doesn't feel like it at all. Right. Doesn't feel like it at all. This is a movie where literally every single even scenes where people are just hanging around outside a yeah. house, like looks yeah. like it's being shot. The on a cat is CG for a big chunk of the time because right. they needed the cat to do things. It's like, I can't I can't even believe the cat in this movie. <laughs> Come every, on. Everything looks CG in this film. But and it's OK if what you're making is sure. the exactly. mask. Exactly. That's right. right. If That's you're right. making if you're making, you know, who framed Roger Rabbit or the mask right. in the context of a spy movie. Mm-hmm. I'm or that, uh, or, or poor, be, poor things. I would say like poor right. things has or like that tons could of, be you know, fun. Yeah, that could yeah. be a really fun movie. And honestly, I got to tell you guys, the last couple of scenes of this movie when it just goes full out, I thought was clever and fun. I'm like, okay, that's the movie you wanted to be the whole time. Just mm-hmm. be that movie. Mm-hmm. Why do you have to pretend? To be this other thing the whole, for two hours. Yeah, it's yeah. so dumb. I'm reminded. Uh, you guys remember if looks could kill. The Richard Grieco movie. Okay. I don't yeah. think so. That was another, it was an action comedy. I, I, for some reason, I saw this a lot as a kid, but it's about an 18 year old kid who becomes kind of a, mm, a, a, yeah. a, a super spy. It's like actually very similar mm. uh, to, I don't know, the various things we see happen in this movie, but 
that movie was goofy and dumb, didn't make any sense. And this kind of gets you in there too. And you know, Jeff, I wish I liked the end stuff more, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about it. So let's get to spoilers, okay? So anyway, those are our overall thoughts on Argyle. Unfortunately, none of us liked it very much. I, I will also say one other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the runtime of this film is unforgivable. Insane. Um, unforgivable. Yeah. There is there yeah. is no An reason. Hour should be removed from this There movie. is An no hour. reason this movie needs to be two hours and 20 minutes long. We really um, just see, at some point, we see a famous actor just like playing on a computer for like, for like a minute, so just dumb. hanging out. I have another thing I need to say before spoilers. Yeah. yeah. Well, l- l- ma- l- l- let me elaborate on that point. Oh, okay, like, sure. I, I have Sorry. heard, I remember when I was watching, uh, when I was growing up, you know, Face Off, the John Woo movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. Also very goofy in parts. Yeah. And I remember seeing some reviews that say, oh, you know, I think there's probably like one or two, two one or two too many action scenes in Face Off. I remember thinking at the time and still do today. What are you talking about? What are you talking this about? Is, this is some of the most incredible action that has ever been directed with real life people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, and I, I think that's that was Matthew Vaughn's motivation. He's like, oh, I have so many cool action movie ideas. Yes. I want to fit into this movie. And that's why the movie's so long, is because mm-hmm. there's, I'm going to say conservatively, one hour's worth of action scenes in this movie. Um, the problem for me is that very few of the action scenes actually look very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and often, look like they use tons of digital effects that just pull me out of the immersion of the film. And this is very true in the final 30, 40 minutes. Like there's all these scenes that look like just unconvincing to me. Mm-hmm. And that's why the movie felt like it took an eternity. If, if these were like very grounded action scenes where I believed these people were doing this stuff, uh, then I would feel very differently about it. It's, but, it's sort of yeah. like, uh, I would compare it to maybe like Ira Chi's Man from Uncle 2, which is another movie that I think really captures a good specific, okay, we're going to do like 60s era spy stuff, but also be grounded and not be like overly, right. I don't know, overly like showy with things, but it still manages to have the big action scenes. I think another thing working against this movie is that I literally just saw the trailer for the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare uh, the a couple mm. hours before I saw this movie. That is the new Guy Ritchie movie also starring Henry Cavill. Just looks good. It's like good <laughs> spy stuff. Are like, Guy Ritchie yeah. and yes. Matthew Vaughn slowly becoming the same person? I, well, so they, it really felt like when I talked to Matthew Vaughn, and that was like 2009, it just seemed like I'm, I'm done. I'm done with Guy Ritchie. I'm not producing. I'm my own man doing my own things. And it seems like they had a big creative split. And it, it does kind of feel like, you know what's weird? Is that Guy Ritchie is kind of becoming the better filmmaker over time, and Matthew Vaughn is becoming worse, weirdly. Yeah. Um, All right, Jeff, go ahead. Your last point here. Uh, as much as I was so frustrated and turned off by so much of this movie, I think the biggest travesty, the most egregious transgression that happens in this movie Uh is the use of the final Beatles song. I was going to say, yeah, Yeah. what you thought about that. No fewer than three needle drops. Of the same song <laughs> and an orchestral like reimagining of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, no, there's literally a scene at the, near the beginning of the movie where she like opens up her MacBook, sits down, turns on her Mac. It's like, well, is this an Apple film? How can I possibly know? <laughs> Clearly, Apple, you know, funded the making of Now and Then, which is, a, I think, a gorgeous song, but it completely tramples over in the same way Matthew Vaughn trampled over the memory of Prince Prince. Yeah. You uh, complained about I, that specific thing in Kingsman too, Jeff. I, yeah. I hated it so much. Uh, the, the, the drop of let's go crazy. In yeah. That, which he would never have allowed if he were alive. <laughs> um, and this, 
there is literally a moment in this movie where they talk, they she put puts this thing on. She goes, "This was our song for years." It's like it hasn't been around for years. <laughs> it, it can't been. be your song. It was literally technology allowed that to happen fifteen minutes ago. It made me so angry, so angry. All right. Well, those are our overall thoughts on Argyle. Let's get to spoilers for Argyle starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth. Inconceivable. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. I mean, where to begin? Where to begin? Okay, so uh, we yeah. we Jeff, you you I don't think you've seen the trailers for this movie, but there is something very hilarious has happened online this week mm-hmm. where the entire marketing campaign of this movie hinges around this question of who is Agent Argyle? Like who Who's is the real, the real Argyle? Argyle? Like the, tra- yeah. the a trailer literally <laughs> ends with with who is the real Argyle? We're going to show you right now and then the trailer ends. Like and it's like, who is the real Agent Argyle? And what's funny is, essentially, people discovered the Deadline.com article announcing this movie years ago. Uh-huh. Gives uh-huh. away the whole solution yep. right in the head- headline of the article, That's basically. Yep. Which is... Well, I, I, so here's the, here's the premise of the movie that we are supposed to believe pre-twists, which, yeah. which is a woman is writing spy novels so well yeah. that they are predicting the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is the idea <laughs> of a twist is that the given circumstances are plausible. Mm-hmm. The given yep. circumstances <laughs> make more sense, are so obvious that we wouldn't even question them because then the twist go oh wow what i took to be the obvious truth the given circumstances what i took to be a completely realistic understanding of what's been going on is now turned on its head by new inf- wow oh it just made so much sense before and now woo i'm recontextualizing you cannot have a given set of Circum- the premise of the movie, the entire time I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> We're supposed to swallow <laughs> the fact that all of these spies are after her because if she finishes the book, it will tell them the future? That's that's the baseline three yep. twist action baby it's dumb from the start it is preposterous so, yeah it's preposterous and no one questions that she doesn't question that <laughs> it's like it's the stupidest thing i could possibly i honestly at a certain point was like is this movie about a woman going through a psych psychotic break <laughs> right. all this is gonna yeah. be like imagined yeah. right like- yeah this is a complete <laughs> she's having a breakdown right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it is it makes no sense from the word go it, it and the you by the time the twist comes you're like well thank god there's an actual reasonable explanation for this 
you know, because I couldn't possibly bear yeah. the fact that the movie is hinging on psychic rider lady. <laughs> I really, I really wish the cat was more involved. I was actually kind of wondering, <laughs> is the cat like psychically transferring spinals to her? Like, I, I, I buy that, Matthew Vaughn. Okay, give me so what? What was the point of the cat? Even the cat I'm, was such a essential part of the marketing. The cat, well, that, bag and everything. that I understand. It's like, I, it's this idea yeah. of this du- the duality of <laughs> you know Ellie Conway, right? And uh-huh. like part of her it, it loves dogs but then she became a different person because she got brainwashed by Brian Cranston uh-huh. so now she loves cats and look I will say cool moment when Brian Cranston shows up right like in the yes but well, what is he po- doing in this this movie is no. beneath no, no, every which person moment? Which I, moment? I mean literally when he shows up in the hotel in the hotel like, that was oh, a cool, yeah. the, that the, was a cool the entire theater w- yeah, behind was like, me was like what the fuck? <laughs> Everybody was just like, "What? Huh?" Oh no! Just yeah. general general expressions of disbelief and stupidity. But that's like, why yeah. I was like, "Oh, there yeah. could be so many cooler explanations as to why that would be than what's in this movie." And it squanders these great, great actors doing these fun turns. It, it, so, also, why would any of these people allow her to become famous? Yeah. Why would they allow? Yeah. Would, the worst thing that could possibly happen is that anyone buys her books. Yeah, maybe you should keep her on the down low, you know? Make her a substitute teacher. I don't know. Or, like, let her write, but don't let her then be published. You are a <laughs> supremely powerful spy organization. Don't let the books get published. If only we could control this. It's it, the it, stupidest it, thing. It's it's so it is implausible that, like, f- four books have already been published. They have let her get to, like... You know, uh-huh. superstar. She's like, yeah. she's like Stephen King, or right. you know, she's yeah. she's yeah. a well, massive international superstar. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. the yeah. spy organizations they started <laughs> reading the first book and they're like, well, gonna let her cook. Let's see where gonna this let, goes. Let's see where this yeah, goes. Let's see where this goes. <laughs> yeah. Let's see where this is heading. You know, let's. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Oh man. Preposterous. And then the, the the notion that oh, all of the things that she's been writing are accurate. So that first scene with. The the car driving on you know over the that all was pro- sure supposedly that happened. happened that happened they did a police story in Greece basically <laughs> they did a bad boys too in Greece essentially the other thing I want to say <laughs> is that this movie completely cops out on saying anything of substance about gender identity mm-hmm. because it hints at that it brushes up against it it flirts with this notion of. Why does she see herself as Henry Cavill? Right, right. But literally, no. Mm-hmm. You know, well, why initially... does her romantic relationship mm-hmm. translate into a male male relationship in the novel mm-hmm. in her memory? Mm. That could be really interesting. Could be interesting territory to mine. They, they don't even seem to realize they've broached the subject. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> None exactly. of that, the whole like early fight scene with Sam Rockwell switching between Henry Cavill never made sense because is she imagining Sam Rockwell doing right. that? Because later on, it should she's be John Cena as Argyle. So I don't, what are the rules of this? <laughs> there aren't like, how is this working? You're so right, Devendra. I had that same thought. Of, like, didn't make a it switch. should be yeah. herself the whole time that she yeah. sees as Henry Cavill and him as John Cena. But no, it doesn't make any goddamn sense. But but guys, I mean, we are downplaying one of the great assets of this movie, aka one of the great crimes, which is that uh, Academy Award winning actress Ariana DeBose, yeah, shows is up sideline is fringed in this movie hard for some reason, you know. But she comes, yeah. but she comes back at the end. 
So, you know, it's all inexplicably. Anyone, when they kept saying, like, the person who was online, did anyone for a second not assume exactly <laughs> what it was? It was completely obvious. You know, I have a lot of questions about how Aaron DeBose ended up on that oil tanker or whatever mm-hmm. the heck. But, you know, uh, what, no how one cares. How did they end up on the oil tanker? I even even that wasn't clear to me. Yeah. The whole, the whole like, placement of people in space, objects in space, like, I just don't understand anymore when so much of it feels manufactured so that's that's a weird thing Uh, i want to point out the she's the only one that has the secrets we need her to publish them for all the world to read it's the (sighs) stupidest thing it's the stupidest thing it's all so dumb Uh, sam rockwell (laughs) jumping up from beneath the floorboards with dual pistols that shot was in the trailer and that specific shot made me think oh no this is a disaster (laughs) Because it looks, it looks so silly. It looks like it is a scene from Wanted, you know, the Timur Bekmembetov mm, yeah. Wanted movie, and yeah. not like anything, not anything we'd expect in a spy movie like this. So anyway, I not a fan. Gotta say, I loved the smoke dance sequence. I loved You're, the enjoy, ice skating Jeff. on the oil. By the time we got there, I was like, ah, oh, this could have been the whole movie. We could have just had this goofy. You know, it, this could have been, um, um, oh, I had a whole movie reference in my head. It doesn't matter. The, I, I liked it. You guys didn't like those scenes? I hate it. That, that was the point where I was like fully checked out of this movie. I was struggling to stay awake. I'm like, oh, we're doing we're doing hearts with, with smoke now. The thing about this movie, Jeff, is I felt it was that dumb and that silly from the get-go. Like basically from the Sam Rockwell yes, train absolutely. sequence, that it was the same thing. It was the same like weird bloodless violence which i also have a problem with in in like all the matthew vaughn movies like i felt this in kingsman too like remember like it was that movie was all about heads exploding yeah but it, they, they could never show red so they exploded into like fireworks or some stupid <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and this movie's the same thing like he is tearing up a train car shooting people knifing people nothing that car that- is spotless that There's was no actually, actual human pain there. I agree with you, Devinger. That said, that yeah. was my favorite action scene of the it was, movie because I think yeah, it's because the it least, looked like it was it's the only one that looks good. Physically yeah. doing things. It's a like, far yeah. cry from that to ice skating on knives. Right. Like, well, yeah. I, that, that was that was still a moment where I mm-hmm. bought that we were in a grounded spy movie. Yes, there were some comedic takes of him like trying to talk to her and then getting right. knocked out of the doorway. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I thought that was kind of fun stuff. And agreed. Like that, that could totally take place in a James Bond movie. Or yes, a, absolutely. Sure. Uh, so I still was, I felt I was being communicated that we're still in a movie very different from her mm-hmm. pulp novel reality. And the fact that it just keeps creeping. And by the time we're like, you know, falling backwards onto things and having the cat fly out, I'm like, what the fuck is this movie doing? Yeah. yeah. We really need that CG shot of the cat going up. Yep. I think we my really problem with the smoke fight scene is it's very obvious they didn't actually use smoke. And I know. Yes, it look, looks terrible. I'm, I'm it sure it bad. would have been difficult to actually impossible. use smoke it and, mm-hmm. and, ha- and like be able to do multiple takes yeah. and all that stuff. Maybe, but like, maybe God is telling you don't do this. But the, uh, yeah, it's, but the it's physically can, impossible. The eye can tell the difference. And it's like. The human yeah. eye can tell the difference, and it's just like it just doesn't look good. And that's immediately followed by the ice skating mm-hmm. uh, oil scene, which like I'm not even sure makes any sense. Um, you know that you I, could do that. <laughs> so. I thought of the reference that I that, that oh, was yeah. in my head by Go that ahead. by that point in the movie. I was like, oh, we're in Shaolin soccer. Mm, we're sure. in. Yeah. We're, th- that's what this movie wanted to be from the start. Is not tethered to any sense of reality. Right. It's a live action cartoon. 
a live action Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. And I would be down for that. Like, I think Vaughn could pull that off. I mean, Kingsman flirts with that too. Uh, and I, I like do it, make it that, but don't couch it in. Oh, there's two realities and she's just, it's all so dumb. Just make a, make Austin powers, make a fun, goofy comedic spy movie. I'm into that. I I see your point, Jeff. It just, it felt like, it felt like it creeped in really quickly is the thing. Like it didn't feel like, okay, maybe we're supposed to have that separation early on. But once the train sequence happens, they escape through that by him blowing out with the parachute. And like, it's all, it just all looked very silly. My thing about the smoke is just like, this is all for show. This is all, okay, they're in love, but they're not. It's just waves and waves of guys running off to these people who are just like randomly pointing their guns all over the place and just getting mowed down. So it felt like it felt like a weird video game cutscene because it doesn't doesn't mean anything. The action doesn't mean anything other than to make the smoke make a heart because they're in love. I agree. I yeah. don't disagree with any of that. I just felt like by the end, it's like, oh, you know. Don't yeah, pretend yeah, yeah. to not be this. Like, be this. Just be yep. this. Maybe this is also bad, but at least just <laughs> don't pretend you're not this. Say what well, you he will wants about, to make more of this. Yeah. Say what you will about the fake Argyle book within the story, but at least it's an ethos. You know, like <laughs> exactly. well, at least it was like, hey, you were you're going for something specific there. He Matthew Vaughn wants to make more of these movies. And did you guys see the mid credit sequence? No, I I got out of there as fast I, as I, I literally could. it came I, in like within yeah, 30 yeah, seconds. I re- yeah. So I know I know there's a mid credit sequence. Uh yeah. we could talk about what happens in it. I yeah. rarely do this, but I uh I was so <laughs> ready to leave the film that you just I, bolted. Uh, like when when not even when, like right when they're driving away on the boat. Yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> oh, I've done up, this. I got up out of my chair and like positioned myself at the exit, so I could just flee the second you, I saw you the were credits. Posed, so like you the didn't flash, see like the flashes posed to start running. You were just like ready. Yeah, I, 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 stood, I stood like yep. in the little hallway, like vestibule, like right leading yes. into the hallway. For Get the, me the, out of so, here! So that the second the first credit, I could just be like, I'm. I don't want this movie to take any more of my time that is absolutely necessary. But you um, saw the Henry Cavill reveal. I did see Henry Cavill. Very, yeah. That was fun. But what, what are we supposed to make of that? I have no even? goddamn idea. <laughs> oh, you actually remember the Henry Cavill's here? Um, like there is a guy whose physical appearance is what you based your mm-hmm. weird pseudo memory on. Yeah, although does he doesn't. Mean? Although he doesn't look anything like Henry Cavill in the story because his hair is different. You know, I, this and is he has, a real he has Henry acc- Cavill abuse in this movie. He has a different accent as well. Anyway, it's just, okay. Uh, so, so there, there is a mid-credit sequence where. A, we get a title card 20 years earlier. We see somebody enter a bar, the King's Man. And it's just all like, oh, Matthew oh, Vaughn, what are you tying doing? it into the same universe? We yeah, don't it's, know. It's the Matthew Vaughniverse, baby. It's the Matthew Vaughniverse, and he keeps being cheeky. and is like, oh, yeah, I have ideas. There's a whole thing. Like, guys, the movie says it's based on a book. We don't even know. Is the is is Matthew Vaughn or is the scriptwriter of this movie actually the person who made the quote unquote book? Like it's all like a weird marketing thing, like just to say this movie was based on the book. But Matthew Vaughn's just like, hey, yeah, if we get the green light, we want to make more of these movies. We want to make one like based on the actual book that was that was written about, plus also another meta movie following these characters. And yeah, clearly Matthew Vaughn has just lost the plot. Like that's my thing. Uh, Guy Ritchie's out here going back to back to basics, giving us a kick-ass <laughs> group of dudes and a group of people just like going on a mission. You know, Matthew Vaughn yeah. wants to make more cartoons. All right, I don't so know, man. so that's... the um, 
the post-credit sequence, there's a guy that shows up at the King's Bend. He introduces himself as Aubrey Argyle, mm-hmm. who is like uh, the character from the books that's played by Henry Cavill in the movie. And then you see the text, Argyle, book one, the movie coming soon, right, is what happens yeah. on screen. So yep. the thing that's extremely odd. But that doesn't make any sense because we were just yeah, the entire movie. That <laughs> her books were, were based on her memories uh-huh. as Argyle. Which, by the way, as a person who loves puns, even I hated that. <laughs> but Jeff, what if we, I was going to say, I'm, Jeff, that's that must be Jeff's favorite part of the movie is when she's yeah, revealed as R. Kyle. I will say, after suffering through this thing, an entire movie that is just the book, just the like silly stuff from the book, I I would actually be more into that than more the like weird meta stuff that they're trying to build off of that. I agree with that, but yeah. I but I don't understand how <laughs> is it still just memories of. Bryce Dallas Howard? Well, those things happened. Oh, oh, now, now it's the real story of the memories that were in that character who was brainwashed and was right. also a super spy. But we're going to see it not as her. We're going to see yep. it as this dude yep. and have no mention of why we're seeing it as a dude. It's weird. Weird, weird, weird. Weird, weird, weird. So... I, 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 you know, this may have already been resolved. And if so, like we'll, we'll get some emails about this, but... At this point, I don't know that the the authorship of the Argyle book has been fully explained yeah. yet, right? You don't like, know what's in, up, what's in going IRL, on. There. You mean in yeah. in real life in Meat Space, right? In real life, there is an actual book named Argyle that's written by a woman named Ellie Conway. Yes, that does not have metafictional elements in it, as far as I could tell. Which is you know, like this movie does. And it was it was right. only it, was it put out as part of the marketing of this film or is it, Basically, did it exist? No, no, no. It came it's at the, the same time. The movie is theoretically based off of the book. So, but the but thing it, is, but it, it's not like a book that's been around for 10 years. Correct. No. It, yeah. Yes. It's, and not only that, Jeff, it's, it's way more sketchy than that. The author of the book, Ellie Conway is a extreme introvert. Mm-hmm. There's no photographs mm-hmm. of this person that exists online. Um, a lot of this people have, so yeah, dumb. a yeah, lot of people so have dumb. speculated that it's like Taylor Swift, but it could, it could also <laughs> sure, be like, of course, why wouldn't it be? It, well, okay. She's, actually, she's uh, ghost writing for Biden. You just, uh-huh, so actually uh-huh. you joke about that, but there's actually like way more reasons to believe it's Taylor Swift than you might think. Like, yeah, I, I actually I think quite, there's zero reasons. Yeah, I know. This actually, there's, there's more than zero in my opinion. It's the biggest marketing um, coup of this movie that people are even speculating that it could be Taylor Swift. So yeah. really giving them a lot of credit. This movie here. does okay. not deserve any of this. It didn't deserve the people who are in it. Uh, okay, according to Business Insider, Conway's debut novel caught the eye of Vaughn before it was even published. Vaughn was intrigued after receiving a manuscript of Conway's mm-hmm. unpublished spy novel. Bullshit. He uh-huh. and screenwriter Jason Fuchs decided to make a fictional version of Conway the main character of the film. Uh, Bullshit. So the question is, who is Ellie Conway who is, in Who real is life? the real Ellie who Conway? Is the real... We just decided to write adaptation instead yeah. of Here... uh, actually adapting the book because that's what a, that's what a normal well, you know, <laughs> what's funny Vaughn is that... would do. Ava DuVernay just did the same thing with Origins. Mm, it's kind true. of wild. We have two movies kind of doing this too. Yes. It's amazing. Extremely similar subject matter too. No, indeed, joking, indeed. Not at all. Um, no. But, but Jeff, I, I, I like the, uh, basically, I've, I was very intrigued. I went down the rabbit hole in this, but like, I was very intrigued because the description of Ellie Conway reads, Ellie Conway is the author of the debut thriller Argyle, the inspiration for the upcoming film of the same name. She lives somewhere in the United States. <laughs> 
That sure, is a, sure. And is currently dating Travis Kelsey. That is the bio on the Penguin Random House website. Um, also, on the UK version, it says, Ellie Conway was born and raised in upstate New York. She wrote her first novel about Agent Argyle while working as a waitress in a late-night diner. Um, so, oh, yeah, we've heard that story which is before. The, the fake story of yes. this movie. So, anyway, basically, I, I'm saying all this because yeah. literally by the time this episode comes out, um, there may be more shoes to drop about like who Ellie Conway is. We don't what's, know right now. What's our, minds are interesting. <laughs> our minds are untainted <laughs> by the truth of who Am the I real able Ellie to Conway purchase is. Purchase the book called Argyle right now. I believe you yeah. can. Yeah. yeah. But the uh, question is, who is Ellie Conway is far more interesting than the question is, who is the real Agent Argyle? Yes. That's the funniest thing overall. Absolutely. Yeah. The whole metafictional build structure that they built around this. Anyway, Matthew Vaughn says that he has like a universe in his head with Kingsman sure. on the right. Argyle on the left and something in the middle. So he's threatening us at this point with like a cinematic. Clowns <laughs> to the left of me. Yeah. Jokers to the right. <laughs> I think the book came out quite recently, like sure. within the last of it did. couple weeks. I bet so. it's a, I bet it's spectacularly well written too. I bet well, okay, the prose Jeff. is so Jeff. No need for Ellie Ellie Conway to be catching strays from you right now, Jeff. Okay. You, you have no and idea who that I'm is. I'm sure this wasn't just shot off uh, as a way to be in, in you know synchronicity with the release of the movie. I'm sure there's nothing in this. I'm sure this was slaved over for many years, this novel. You're going to feel real bad once it turns out all this stuff about Ellie Conway is true, Jeff. Um, That's true. I will, hey, I well, will retract. I've retracted so many things in this episode already. I'm happy to retract. I will say this movie is also giving me real uh, developed by AI vibes. So yeah. whenever yeah. we have like weird authorship issues, like wasn't there, there was just an award recently where a, an author just revealed like part of her book was written by AI. <laughs> and then now the awards are like, I don't know what to do about this. Ellie um, Conway is definitely human. She definitely lives in America. Human. She and is, is a not a computer. waitress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, at <sighs> the end of the day, despite literally everything we just said, give uh, me the next guy, Richie movie guys. It's that's what I want. It's impressive that Matthew Vaughn made a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Music for this podcast. Tim McEwen wrote the theme song. He's from The Midnight. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Next week on the podcast, we are going to be checking out Lisa Frankenstein, Diablo Cody's new movie Zelda Williams directed yeah Yeah. should be a fun time thanks for listening see you later